How many of you are tired? I mean, you'd really say you're, you're tired of making dumb decisions. I mean, I am. I don't want to make any more. I've, I've lived 51 years, and if I can avoid any more dumb decisions, I want to do my best to avoid them. And so uh, I guess the one good thing I can say is, is that as, as I've grown older, sometimes through experience and just hard knocks and other times because I finally started listening, I began to decrease my bad decisions or my dumb decisions, and I've begun to increase my good decisions. And when you do that, what happens is, is that the quality of life you're living dramatically changes. And so that's what we're endeavoring to do in these weeks on Wednesday night. We're not going to be here forever, but we're going to be here long enough that hopefully we can maybe teach you some things and sow some things into you that can really help you get a handle on making better decisions. Now you understand, not every decision you're going to have to make is codified in the Bible. If you got two jobs in front of you and you know one of them is should I work at Walmart or should I work on Target? You know it's not going to have that in the Bible it says verily verily I say unto you. Go to Target. I mean it's just not there, is it? Now now I think most of us in this room probably have the big stuff down. You know, we know, we should know the top 10 list of thou shalt nots. So, so there are some decisions that are just obvious. And, and, and if you can't get the obvious ones down, you're going to have a real tough time on the not so obvious ones. If, If you can't get the ones that are clearly outlined in the scripture, how are you going to be led by the spirit in order to make decisions that aren't just written in black and white in front of you? And so we've, I've just got to put this out here. You've got to be committed to the authority of God's word. And there are certain things that he says yes and no to. And those things are just done. Those are easy decisions. I mean, absolutely easy decisions. You know, if you're struggling over whether you should get drunk this coming weekend, I can fix that pretty fast. I mean, that's a pretty easy one to fix. Because I can show you abundantly God says, no, don't do that, okay? So we know that. But, but the key is there have been other decisions in our life that, that we've made that uh, weren't as easy to make and we didn't perhaps make it well. And now that we have experience, we wish we could go back and redo that. And so we're going to help you do that. Tonight, you have a fill-in-the-blank sheet. Don't you love fill-in-the-blanks? Now, here's the thing with me. I don't always get through all my notes. But I know if I give a fill-in-the-blank sheet that there are some of you here that will really be frustrated that I didn't get the, all the fill-in-the-blanks. And so you'll be really kind of miffed at me because you'll say, Pastor, you had all these blanks and now I'm going to go from this place and all my blanks are filled. Well, we'll, I'll do my best to try to get through it all. If I don't, then you'll have to come back next week and get your blanks filled in. All right. But tonight I'm going to talk about how a decision is made. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading several different passages But if you have your Bibles, I I want to just read one real quick. First Thessalonians 523. First Thessalonians 523. And as you're locating that, finding it, I'm going to just take a minute. And I didn't get to use my handy dandy whiteboard last week. And I'm not the best artist in the world, but I think it'll be good enough for what we're trying to accomplish here. Let me put my bullseye up there and you'll have a bullseye on your sheet in front of you and I'm going to fill in the blanks here in just a moment. How a decision is made. Decisions, especially poor decisions, can result in any degree of problem that you may be facing in your life. 
A poor decision may cause you something of, of a problem as simple as embarrassment. We've all made decisions that have probably embarrassed us, and that was the extent of the repercussion of that particular decision. And if that's all the repercussion of that decision was, then you can probably get on your knees and be grateful for that. It was just embarrassment. But unfortunately, there are other decisions that can end in utter catastrophe. And we've watched these last days. It's been on 24-7 on the news cycle. The gentleman, just the, the crazy gentleman, and I use that term gentleman loosely. We could use the word nut job. That shot innocent people and a congresswoman. Do you understand one decision, one decision utterly changed the landscape in how many people's lives? So it could it could be something to simple embarrassment and you're just embarrassed and wish you hadn't made the decision. Or you have this guy who is deeply disturbed and we're going to begin to talk about how that disturbance happens in people and how it even becomes as acute and egregious as someone like that. I don't know if you saw, I think it was on the AOL homepage, but it might have been in the newspaper as well. But they had a picture of that guy. I don't remember his name now, but they had a picture of that perpetrator, the shooter. One picture of some time ago and then another picture, which was the one down at the police station. And I'm telling you, if you ever wanted to know what a demonic presence looks behind someone's eyes, you just have to look at that second picture. He does not have the same facial features even as the one that was earlier. And it, and it tells you that there's something going on inside of there that's far deeper, far more evil, and far more serious than probably even uh, most of the secular uh, uh, analysis, analysts would uh, even understand. And so, so we, we, we kind of set out the arenas last week of dumb decisions, but I want to start breaking down some things so you can understand what's going on inside of you when you're making a decision, one of our weaknesses and under letter A, I'm going to begin to fill in the blanks here. One of our weaknesses is that most people believe or sometimes have been taught that a human being is either physical. You can write that in there. Doesn't that feel good? You get to write in your blanks there. Physical or spiritual. Most people believe or have been taught that a human being is either physical or spiritual. And that is too simplistic. In fact, you know, and I've been to graduate school and I've taken just enough psychology to be dangerous. I mean, I've, I've, I've taken psychology classes, a number of them, and I can tell you this from, from being in there and understanding it, that most psychology does not recognize, does not understand the spiritual component of a human being. And, and I, can, I can tell you this for a fact because when there are things that go beyond their realm of understanding or ability to address, the first thing they go to is biology and they drug it. Now, hear me when I say this. I'm not, I'm not a, there are chemical imbalances. Do I believe the body can be chemically imbalanced? Sure. So don't walk out of here and say, well, pastor said drugs are bad and I'm getting off drugs and, you know, that now the drugs that your doctor's giving you, by the way. You know, there are other, you're medicating yourself on other drugs. You need to be delivered from that too. But, but the point I'm trying to make is, is that not everything is biologically rooted. Okay. And, and but because we've never got beyond just sort of the dichotomy of man, we've never got beyond the fact that we, you know, well, maybe he's phys physical and spiritual and the spiritual really doesn't apply to this. I'm telling you the spiritual is, is intricately involved 
in a human being. All right. First Thessalonians 523. I want to read this passage to you. It says this now may the God of peace himself sanctify the word literally means set you apart, sanctify you completely. Now I'm going to stop there. What's he saying there? He's, it's saying that God is wanting to it's said in many different ways in scriptures, but he's, he's wanting you to to cut you out of the world system and cut you out of the way the world does things. You know, you have to live in the world. Jesus says you may be in the world, but you're not of the world. And what that means is, is certainly you're in the world and you're operating. You go to work. You have to interact with people. But what he meant was, is that you can get cut out of the cloth of the world. You can get cut out of the way the world sees things and 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 and, and analyzes things and tries to address things. You can be cut out of this. And it says here that God, the God of peace himself, sanctify or set you apart completely. And then says, and may your whole, listen to this, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit, soul, and body. This is just 101. God is... Father, Son, right? And Holy Spirit. Three in one. Correct? He, we were created in His image. And since we were created in Him as image, it should not surprise us that we too are three in one. There are three aspects of our being. Three, there's three aspects in you. You may not think about this every day. You may not, you know, uh, be confronted with this. But it's very important because I'm going to show you how... You process life. And if you don't understand this, then, then you don't even have a chance of being able to make quality decisions in what's going on. Spirit, soul, and body. All right? Now, people are made up of three parts. Now, here's where we're going to get to fill in a lot of blanks. Under number one, put the word body. Number one, body. And then if you see your bullseye, just put body. Right there on that outside ring. Body. Soma in the original. Soma. Body. Paul, Paul would oftentimes call this, as you read through the Scripture, the natural man. All of us interact with each other mostly and, and primarily on this outside level, the body. Now, if I was teaching or going through premarital counseling with people, this is how most people decide whether or not they're even going to try out a relationship for marriage. They want to like the container. Right? I mean, you're gonna, you're, you want to like the container. What gets our attention? If, if, if you go through a grocery store and you look at the magazine rack, they, 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 they aren't showing people at a Bible study. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen those muscle magazines? Have mercy. Why? It's the body. Everything, everything's about the body. All right? And that's the natural man. Most of life is evaluated and decisions are made in most of our lives purely by our senses. Now, those letters that go underneath body, there's five blanks there, and you can fill them up with the five senses. The body is influenced, I could even use the word controlled, by the five senses. If you don't know what they are, it's touch, taste, smell, sight, hearing. 
touch, taste, smell, sight, hearing. Now, I'm, I'm helping you. Most of life is evaluated through the senses as our filter. Now, we didn't learn it. Nobody trained us that way. We were born into the world being dominated by our senses, weren't we? I mean, when you were a, when you were a little baby, you didn't even know it. But the minute the minute your your stomach began to growl as a baby, what did you do? Yeah, you cried. You cried out. Why is that? Because because it dominated you. If you were cold, you cried. If if some sharp object touched you, it, it, it caused a reaction. And so it is all through life. All of us are dominated primarily without any other help by our senses. All right. Our senses. These senses are powerful. They are empowered daily in all of our lives. Have mercy. I mean, whether it is you're watching television or the radio, I mean, everything's going in your ears, hitting your eyes, you're touching things, all the rest. I mean, our senses are continually empowered. And so, so for most people, when it comes to life, it's their senses who are calling the shots and they're large and in charge. All right. Every day, the world's doing something more to empower them in even greater ways. Think about this for just a minute. Think about how many decisions you make because somebody said something to you and you heard something. Think about how many decisions you make because there was an image that suddenly flashed in front of your face. Now, for better or worse, this, this can be used something for good. You could see some homeless person, see, and, and maybe you're compassionate, you help them. Or you could see something quite wrong and sinful and egregious, and you could, you could act on that. But a lot of life is, is de decided by our senses. How about aromas? Have you ever walked into a, a place and all of a sudden you get an aroma? Maybe it's a good meal you smell. And instantly you go, ooh, that smells good. I, I want to I eat that. Hey, wh why, why, do you, why do you think colognes and perfumes? Why? It's because we just don't want to stink? And is it not interesting? Is it not interesting that, and we've said this before, that you can hear a song that you heard 30 years ago. And not only will you know the words to that song, but you'll instantly flash back to the moment you first maybe heard it or it was a meaningful moment. Same with smells. Senses. Powerful aspect. Uh, or foods. You know, we all love food. You know, and uh, all of it. Incredible power. Now, here's the good news about the body. This is, this is the one good thing I can tell you about it. It's decaying. That's what the scripture says. It says it's decaying. And uh, if I have time, I, I may get back to some more, some more of those concepts in just a second. The second thing I want you to put down, and you can also put it in the second box here, is the soul. The soul. The soul contains three aspects. In fact, uh, the word psychology actually is derived from the Greek word, which means soul study, which which is kind of oxymoronic in most psychology books, but psuche is, is the word for soul, and that's where we get our word psychology from. 
But the soul, and, and you can write notes other places, but this is what I like to call the soul. The soul is the processing center of all of life. Now, this is going to be important because it does not matter whether God speaks to you or whether the television speaking to you and God's not even involved in it. Whatever's being thrown at you and from whatever direction it's being thrown at you, your soul is what's inside of you that's going to process that information or that activity to where ultimately you're going to make a decision off of it. Because in the soul, and these are the three things, A, B, and C, the soul carries these three things. Your mind, your mind, I'm not talking about your brain, I'm talking about your mind. Your mind, your emotions, or your feelings. So the soul carries your thought and thinking processes. It carries your feelings and emotions. And it also carries your will or the ability to choose or to make a decision. And usually we say it, mind, will, and emotions. M-W-E, mind, will, and emotions. All right? Mind, will, and emotions. Now I'm going to ask you a question. If the soul is the processing center in a human being's life, and let's say the soul is damaged. I'm not going to talk about what kind of damage, but it has some damage to it. So if it carries your mind, if it carries your emotions, and it carries your decision-making processes, and there's some damage that has gone on somehow, some way in the soul, I, I, this is really simple. But, but what do you think the quality of decision will come out of the person who has damage in that soul area. What would that be? In other words, if your mind is what processes life and your mind is damaged, what happens? Well, you make poor decisions, right? Can we just say the dude in Arizona had some damage? Right? Because those decisions aren't right. You, 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 can't, you can't even make a case for what he happened. How could a human, how could a human being, have you ever heard this? How could a human being do such a thing? Something's damaged in there. And if it doesn't get fixed, it can make decisions even that poorly. What happens, let's say, not only if it's damaged, but let's just say, let's, for the sake of argument, and I'm just, I'm just trying to get you stirred in your heart, but let's just say that the soul is whole. Or, or it, it can ostensibly make good decisions if, if you know, think everything being equal. But let's say you're thrown erroneous information. Let's say you're thrown something at you that's just an error. And your soul processes error. What happens? Bad decision, right? Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Because let's just say you love God and you've had some measure of restoration take place in your life. But you're still struggling with issues of rejection and alienation and fear. And all of a sudden, things are thrown at you. That may not be accurate. It's just erroneous information. Because if the Bible says that God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind, and yet fear is being thrown at you. So number one is, we know what? That's not God, right? So therefore, whatever fear is being thrown at me, and however that's being processed, if it comes out that I'm acting intimidated, or I'm responding to fear in an appropriate way, that because of that erroneous information, I'm making a bad decision, correct? All right, I'm just showing you all the ways that bad decisions start coming out of us because somehow or another, either the soul is damaged or the soul is getting information from a wrong direction 
that is causing you to make decisions that are leading you in the wrong path. Everybody with me still? With me? All right. It's just like your filters. At, in, you know, most of us have HVAC units. You know, we have air conditioners and heaters at our house. Which, by the way, I changed my filters out the other day. And I, forget, I didn't realize it had been as long. I mean, those things, Michael, you'd have, you'd have been disappointed in me. But they were, I mean, it was crud. They were just filled with crud. And you know, a lot of times, in fact, it happened years ago, I learned this the hard way, is that I thought something was wrong with an HVAC unit, and I called the guy out, and he came out, and the first thing he did was just change my filters, and it worked perfectly. It was just the filters were so clogged and messed up. You see, if our filters affect the way the HVAC unit, you've got to understand that, that the soul, it begins to filter things, and if the filter is messed up, it, you won't operate properly. All right. Now at birth, you may write this over at the side at birth. This is everybody. The scripture says in Romans three twenty three that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's everybody. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. I know babies are beautiful and they're nice and they're neat and they're cuddly and oh, they're angelic, but they're, they're born in sin. You aren't born and then get in sin. You're born in sin. How do I know that? It's because sin Sin is really a, a derived from the carnal nature. And, and the word carnal, which is also translated in the Bible as flesh, ostensibly means selfish or self-centered. And again, when I'm talking about a baby, as you'll recall, when a baby wants fed, how many of you know it wants fed? It, it doesn't care about your schedule. When it's wet, it wants changed now. And it's going to scream until you get it done. That is the carnal nature. I know, I know you look at that angelic face and you say, how can you say that, Pastor? That's carnality. I can interpret the scream. Everybody drop what you're doing. It's all about me. Change me. Feed me. Hold me. No, don't give me to that person. I want you. I can interpret those screams. And it's selfish. Now, when we get older, we don't scream like that. We're more refined at it. We're just refined screamers. But we're still carnal. Now, where does that carnality, where does that selfishness exist? It, it exists in the soul. See, that's where, that's where it exists. It's born that way. It's born depraved. It's born fallen. It's, it's born carnal. And so automatically because of our birth, every decision we make, every feeling we make, for a lot of us, it's all about me. If I'm making decisions, it's about. If I have a feeling, it's about. You see, and, and, and that has to be addressed uh, as well. Now, think about that. Think about your making decisions and how many decisions you make, and it just kind of lands on that. Now, how can that be changed? Write this out to the side. Now, we'll come back to all of these things, but I'm, I'm giving you a quick, a quick understanding of how decisions are made. There's, there's two ways this can be solved. Number one is, you can write the word renew. The Scripture says that a part of our transformation is through the renewing of our mind. Now, where's the mind located? Where is it? How does it get renewed in there? 
Well, it gets renewed. There, there are a number of ways it can be renewed. I believe it can be renewed through the confession of the word, the reading of the word, the application of the word, the meditating on the word, because the word is God's voice. It is God's will. It is God's ways. It speaks truth to us. And so in order for us to break out of our carnal, selfish ways, in order that you and I can begin to walk in selfless ways, which is the heart of God, because Jesus said to us, he said, the whole law is contingent upon two things. And that is you love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind and all thy strength. So you know what that means there? He's covering just about everything right there. And what that means is this. It ain't about you. And he says, the second is as the first that you would love your neighbor as yourself, which number two means it ain't about you there either. Because it ain't about you. So renewing, we have to be renewed in our mind through his word. Secondly, and, and we'll get back to this one. How is the soul dealt with? You can put down the word broken. Now, when I say broken, I'm not talking like a bad thing. I'm talking like a good thing, a yieldedness. Galatians 2.20 says that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How did I get there? I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It means this area has been broken. It's been yielded to the will and the ways of God. Now, those two things are absolutely critical in keeping your processing center operating correctly. It's got to be broken, and I'm going to show you why. Because the third part is the one you can write in here, spirit. Spirit. That's number three, spirit. Don't put a capital S. Put a small s. You say too late. Because I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about your spirit. The Holy Spirit is capital S, small s is your spirit. Yes, there is a Holy Spirit. But there is a spirit inside of you. Again, there are many uh, synonyms for that. Uh, one of the synonyms Paul uses is the inner man. The inner man. Another one, I believe, is, is just when he says the heart. I believe the heart is a synonym for the spirit, small s. The human spirit. Now, this is where life was meant to be lived from. If, if you want to know where God, where does God, when, when, when you are born again and you invite Jesus into your heart, wh where does this take place and what's going on? Listen to me. At the, when you're born, remember what I said, obviously you have a body, your senses are being empowered. You obviously have a soul because even when you're born, you have a mind, a will, and emotion, but that's fallen, it's carnal. But you're not instantly born again. You're not instantly, you know, redeemed. But there comes a moment, though, that if you open up your heart to Jesus and he lives inside of you or you open yourself up to him, where is it that he comes? What is it that he does? Well, when you're born, this part of you is dead in trespass and sin. That's what the scripture says. You're not alive to God. Now, you say, well, I'm not physically dead. No, you're not physically dead. Your mind's still working, right? You still feel things even though you don't know the Lord. So if I'm dead in trespass and sin, then where in the world am I dead? Well, you're dead in spirit. You have a spirit. It's, it's, it's dead. But when God 
enters in. Do you understand that, that we are dead in our sins, but the Scripture says we are made alive unto God. And because Jesus was risen from the dead and carries with him resurrection power, then what does he do? He enters into this spirit and by the same power that raised him up from the dead, glory to God, he raises you up in the inner man to life. God, not just any life. I'm not talking about biology. I mean, we're all living and breathing. How many of you know there are people probably here tonight, you're breathing, but that don't mean you're living. And you see, this is where real life springs from. That's the word zoe, which is God-type life. It's the life that gives you peace. It's the life that gives you joy. It's the life that gives you hope. And it's amazing to me how many folks go through life and, 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 and we run after all these things in the natural. We think if we accrue more stuff, if we, if we get more money, if I get more toys, if I get, you know, five houses, if I, if I get this or I get that, if I change relationships, and, and we're running after all these external things, and I'm telling you internally, if we know the Lord, we've been brought unto life. That's why Paul said that you are now a new creature in Christ. How can that be? I'm the same person. I, I prayed a prayer. You're right. How, does, how, could that, how could I be a new creature? Because something that was dead in you has now come to life. Old things have passed away, the Scripture says. All things have become new. And the Spirit is where God now resides. Isn't that amazing, Andrea? That right now in Andrea, right in there, God Think about this. God is in there. Second Peter 1 and 4 says that you and I have become partakers of the divine nature. Is that not just like radical? I mean, we look at people and say, do you want to be forgiven? And certainly I want to be forgiven, but I need to look at people sometimes and just say, how would you like to have Everything you need all wound up into one existing right in there. But most people don't get that. And they don't understand that. And most of all, they are totally clueless as to how that relates to practical life. Out of their spirit. Alright? So, the key is now, here, here's the key I'm getting to. You've got everything being thrown at you to empower your senses coming this way. Everything screaming at you Feel me, taste me, touch me, see me, hear me. I'm going to keep throwing it at you, throwing it at you, throwing it at you. You were born that way and you're so used to receiving it and making decisions off it that it's our second nature almost to just fall back into the natural and whatever gets thrown our way. If the economy goes south, we panic. Right? If Wall Street goes on a roller coaster ride, oh my God, what am I going to do with my 401k and my portfolio? We panic because it's all being thrown from this way where if we can learn that God inside of us says, don't, don't you worry. That's why Jesus said, why do you worry? Why are you anxious? Have you ever wondered how could he say these things? You know what? People tell me he's, he's a good teacher and then they don't listen to what he said. He's either, he's either Lord or he's a nut job. Because when everything's going south around you, how can you say, I've got peace, I've got joy, I've got stability, 
I'm not shaken. I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm not anxious. It doesn't mean there isn't decisions to be made. But the question is, am I going to make the decision the panicky world's going to make? Or will I make the decision that God wants me to make? And here's the deal. Everything's being thrown at me this way to make a decision. But the scripture says that you and I are to make decisions this way. Are you following me? That's why the scripture tells us. He says, don't, don't walk according to the carnal mind. Let me go real quick to the book of Romans here real fast. Um, turn to um, uh, Romans 8 real quick verse 5 have mercy I'm running out of time it's Romans 8 verse 5 it says this for those who live according to the flesh now listen what did I say the flesh was carnal being empowered this way through all of our senses those who live according to the flesh set their minds where on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the what? Now, unfortunately, they capitalize that in your Bibles. That's not a good translation because he's not talking about the Holy Spirit, although the Holy Spirit does live in there. But he's really talking about those who live according to the inner man. The things of the inner man for to be carnally minded is what? What to be carnally minded is what? Come on. So if we make our decisions purely on what's coming this way, where do we end up? But to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. Life and peace. Life and peace. So here's the whole deal. And, 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 and this is where we're going to pick it up next week. Is that you and I have got to learn, number one, what it is to have God reside in us. Number two, what it means to make decisions based on what God has said and what God has spoken. And not just everything that's thrown at us or what makes us feel good or what we see. See, I'll get back to you. We were talking about dumb decisions last week and why smart people make dumb decisions. Why is it that let's just use an example. Let's just use a highly noted physician who's making a gajillion dollars a year. He's at the top of his field. He's got everything going for him. He's got a nice family. He's got nice kids. He's got all the cars he wants. He's got the condo at the beach. Everybody esteems him. His name is in medical journals all over America. He's got everything we would think somebody would want. And all of a sudden, for some odd reason, he decides he wants to have an affair with this little young thing that he met at the office who's barely out of high school, doesn't know what she wants to do with her life. She's not even sure... She's going to go on to any other school, but he just, he makes, why would, why would anybody with a scintilla of smarts make a decision like that? Can I just share this with you? It's because he saw something that solicited the carnal part of him that he walked in. And as he made the decision and walked in it, it led him to divorce losing half of his wealth and riches, disdain in the community. He becomes a pariah of a man and life suddenly goes south for him and he goes to his pastor and he looks him in the eye and he says, Pastor, I don't know how I got here. Well, I do. I know exactly how you got here. You were living life this way, your senses were... Every time she walked by and you smelled her perfume. 
you were empowered. Every time you saw her in her scrubs, and boy, she filled those scrubs nice. Oh, you saw it. It empowered that. She listened to you. Of course, she didn't know three quarters of the words you were saying anyway. But that didn't matter. She acted like she was listening to you. Are you following me? And the whole time you're living life this way. And internally, the Holy Spirit's going, don't be dumb. Don't be dumb. Okay? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to stop there. If you want to read this week, if you like doing homework. <laughs> now you're assigning us homework, Pastor. All right, I'm going to fill. Hey, let me fill in the blank real quick here. C1, the body is slave to its senses. Oh, I never told you what was under spirit, did I? Okay, what's in your spirit? Your conscience? Conscience? Intuition? Which, you know, have you ever, anybody here ever had a hunch? You ever had a hunch about something, didn't have any facts, you just had a hunch? You know where that hunch came from? The inner man. The inner man, that's where that intuition or discernment comes from. Then thirdly, uh, conscience, intuition, I call it communion. That's the place where God dwells. That's where you interact with God. It's in your heart. So it's conscience, intuition, and communion. Okay? C1, the body is slave to its senses. Senses. Hurry and write. i got to hurry. Two, the soul is carnal and selfish. I already covered that. The soul is carnal and selfish. Number three, the spirit is dead in trespass and sin. But when a person is born again, you see, that's why you have to be born again. That's why Jesus said, you know, that which is of the spirit is spirit. Because the Holy Spirit comes and you are, you are born again. You are born anew. You are born from above. Things start to change. Number one, the spirit is made alive unto God. That's Romans 6, 11 and Ephesians 2, 5. You can go look those up. It says that you were once dead. You are now made alive. That's what we call regeneration. The reason it's regeneration is because they aren't, God isn't putting a spirit inside of you. You have a spirit. He's just regenerating the spirit that's inside of you. Number two, the soul then has opportunity because your spirit's been made alive to be renewed through brokenness. Now, the truth is, unless you come to terms with Jesus and you receive him as Lord, you, you, you aren't going to renew your mind because you're going to think the things of God. That's what Paul said. He said the things of God are foolishness to the natural man. That's why you got people, and, and I'm sorry to say this, and I know there are a lot of people that wear the label Christian. You know, we're in America, unfortunately, we, we're as culturally Christian as some Muslim countries are Islamic. It's just a culture. We got people using the label and they don't have the goods. And that's why people who say they are Christians, when they don't want to read God's word, when they don't want to be in fellowship, when they don't want to do what's right, when they don't want to walk in his ways, when they don't do this, folks, if you've been made alive unto God, there's something inside of you that's, that should be drawn to that. See, that's why we don't preach here just decision. We preach conversion and transformation. And the good news is, is that I believe that God's in that business today. I believe there are sincere people made decisions for Jesus. And then they walk out and they say to themselves, why isn't this working? Well, it's because maybe you didn't get everything you signed up for. Maybe you didn't understand all that you signed up for. But that can be solved. But the truth of the matter is, is that once this is, once this is enlivened, 
then what happens is God starts speaking to you and he starts saying from the inside, it's not about you. It's not about you. Not just at Christmas time. Every day. It's not just about you. And you go, how can it not be about me? And I feel bad about that now. I didn't used to feel bad about it. I was selfish and felt pretty good about it. But now I feel bad about it. And that's why people say, oh, that religious stuff just makes you feel guilty. No, it's not. It's God convicting you. It's his way of saying that's not for you. That soul needs to yield. What's it yielding to? It's yielding to the Spirit. You see that your soul is going to yield to something. It's either going to yield to your senses or it's going to yield to the Holy Spirit as he works inside of you. Then finally, this is critical because the soul is the conduit through which decisions are made. The conduit through which decisions are made if the soul processes bad or erroneous information, then what happens is you make wrong decisions. And this is your homework. You can do this before you go to bed tonight. Go read the end of Romans chapter 7. It's like the last 15 verses of chapter 7. Paul, this is what Paul says ostensibly. He says, the good that I want to do, I don't do. I want to do what's right, but then I don't want to do what's right. And the things I don't want to do, I do do. And I do do what I don't want to do. And you start reading that whole chapter and you just start doing a bunch of do-do. That's what you feel like. Man, I read every time I read the end of seven, it's like, golly, Paul, you are one confused man. But can I just share this with you? The reason it's put in the Bible in Romans chapter seven is because it shows what goes on in most people. I want to do what's right, but I don't do what's right. And then I don't do what I'm not supposed to do. And then I do do and I don't do and I'll do. Oh, do, do, do. And there's my life's do do. And then he says in Romans chapter eight, but thanks be unto God that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who live according to the. See, that's how it gets fixed. You can get out of the do do. If you begin to live life out of here. All right. We're going to stop there and I'll pick it up here next week and we'll help you make this really, really practical. Okay. Are you understanding kind of how it's working inside of you now? All right. Stand with me. Let's pray.